Social gatherings turn into super spreaders. They're letting their guard down or people are relaxing a little too much. Also, churches choosing to ignore the COVID rules win in court. Shots ring out on a Surrey street. The security camera video that appears to capture another targeted hit. And criminals causing havoc for downtown businesses. They used weapons, they threatened, uh, they intimidated anybody who stood in their way. A major operation to catch violent shoplifters. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Despite nearly a year of warnings, social gatherings are still becoming super spreader events for COVID-19. Both provincial health data and contact tracing show people are still getting together in large groups and the virus is taking full advantage. Richard Zussman reports. This is the epicenter of a recent COVID-19 super spreader event. St. James Well Pub in Port Moody. On February 2nd, it was home to a games night. 50 people, 15 cases of COVID-19, including staff. We are doing a joint inspection, in fact, with the uh, public health officials um, to really learn what broke down and, and what happened there. But the virus didn't stop there. The one event led to COVID spreading through community, including two local schools receiving exposure notices. And that 15 people from that, um, that event which um, is against orders, uh, became infected and spread to several workplaces, to schools, and to a childcare centre. The spread once again putting social gatherings under the spotlight. Of all COVID-19 cases in BC, 40% due to people going against the social gathering ban. We in public health cannot be in everywhere. We can't be in every um, pub or restaurant or business or um, every place all at the same time. We need to hold each other accountable right now for stopping the spread. WorkSafe BC is trying to keep up when it comes to workplaces. Inspections are up and concern compliance is dropping. We're finding in some cases they're letting their guard down or people are relaxing a little too much. And so we're finding deficiencies in those COVID safety plans. Up until last week, 170 people fined for breaking the ban on social gatherings and events, 31 people fined for breaking the food and liquor service premises order. On top of this, Richmond RCMP cracking down on a pair of karaoke gatherings over the weekend, issuing more than $17,000 in fines. This was a unlicensed premises. So that matter specifically has been referred to bylaws and we're still investigating as uh, to what business and liquor licensing act uh, fines may apply as well. Back at the pub, this sign telling customers the place will reopen Thursday with a COVID-19 safety plan still in place. But with the owners not talking Wednesday, there are no answers on how the plan failed, leading to so many people getting sick. Richard Zussman, Global News. And here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 427 new cases, bringing BC's total to 74,710. Sadly, three more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,317 people to complications of the virus. 232 people are in hospital, 63 patients are in the ICU, and 69,167 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,150 active cases and 7,238 in self-isolation. 
Let's bring in Keith Baldry now to talk more about the active cases. Uh, mm-hmm. Keith, they're slowly coming down in all health regions except one. Yeah, and it's a trend that's been uh, noticeable for some time now, Chris. Early in the pandemic, or halfway through the pandemic in the second wave, the Fraser Health Authority was the epicenter. We had so many cases there, 75% on a daily basis. Uh, Then it got to 66%. Then it was about 40%. That number, that trend has now reversed itself. Take a look at this. These are the active cases and the change since the beginning of February. Fraser continues, uh, continues to have the most cases, but they're the only health authority where the active cases are increasing in the last two weeks. Everywhere else, it's going down. The interior, one of the biggest drops of 242 cases. Northern Health, 74. Even Vancouver Island over here, we seem to have peaked a couple of weeks ago. We're down almost 80 cases. Fraser up almost 500 cases in those two weeks. That's what's driving our case numbers on a daily basis. We're averaging about 400 cases a day on a seven-day average. That's down from more than 500 about six weeks ago. Uh, But what's driving the Fraser numbers, I just checked the maps on the Center for Disease Control website. They've just updated them. The Tri-Cities and Burnaby have the big a spike in the last week or so. Almost 300 cases more in the Tri-Cities and almost 100 in Burnaby. Surrey continues to have the most cases, but those two areas are having the most increase in the active cases, and hopefully this trend doesn't continue. Got to keep an eye on that for sure. Thanks very much, Keith. More questions tonight about exactly what the B.C. government can do to stop churches that are violating health orders. A B.C. Supreme Court justice has dismissed the province's request for an injunction against three Fraser Valley churches, saying, in effect, the government doesn't need it. Sarah McDonald reports. Call it a victory for people like this. The ticket's going to Calvary uh, Chapel. Those long pushing back on provincial health orders, celebrating Wednesday's dismissal of the province's application for injunction against several Fraser Valley churches prescribing to reformed Christianity. We pray for Bonnie Henry and John Horgan, for Adrian Dix. Prioritizing in-person worship over public health. Targeting churches for a uh, shutting down when secular activities, which arguably are more risky, were not shut down. And there's something very unfair about that. The ruling makes it clear the court does not condone those churches flouting public health orders, but it casts doubt on if an injunction is necessary or ultimately even effective enough without the unreserved backing of the BC Prosecution Service. If groups can gather for some purposes, uh, but not others, we have to look at where's the uh, medical rationale for that. The province's top doctor says the data speaks for itself. These rules still apply and they apply for the reasons that we put them in place based on the science and the evidence and where we have seen transmission in these settings. Dr. Bonnie Henry saying in a statement Wednesday she respects the justice's decision one day after addressing the complexities of the case and the province's request to give police more power to detain congregants even attempting to attend service under that now denied injunction. What we're talking about in terms of detention was preventing people from entering a premise. The ruling, though, noting the province does have more powers at its disposal under the Public Health Act that don't require the courts getting involved. If the injunction had been granted, my clients would have faced the prospect of contempt of court if they didn't shut down. Something no longer of concern to these congregants until next month at least. So Lord bless you. When the court battle between church and state continues. With a charter challenge, Sarah McDonald, Global News. 
The ongoing debate over in-person services and the fact some churches are defying health orders has caused confusion and frustration in B.C.'s religious community. As Ted Trenecki reports, even churches that are following the rules are questioning why they can't reopen. There must be some opportunity for church members to gather under suitable COVID safety protocols. There is growing frustration among B.C.'s faithful that they are being singled out Pubs and restaurants are open, the Costco's of the world are packed on weekends, yet religious gatherings are banned outright, even though many are going out of their way to keep everyone safe. We've gone above and beyond anything that was ever expected of us as far as uh, distancing, um, cleaning protocols, um, you know, contact tracing, maintaining accurate records of who's in the building at what time. Um, and uh, when we were told to close, that did come as a sort of shock to us. A few exemptions have been made, like this synagogue in Vancouver. Because it's against the Jewish religion to technically stream a service on their Sabbath, the province has allowed an outdoor, openly ventilated tent with very specific limits as to how many participants can worship here. But then there's the very large question of the Constitution. There's nothing that says pubs or restaurants or schools have certain constitutional rights, but there is the right to religious freedom. The problem is, is that the province's own policies are inconsistent. And here you have a judgment call on a policy in the, which is discriminatory against the religious world when the secular world is wide open by comparison. But not everyone is in agreement on reopening. By their very nature, the faithful are a singing, hugging lot. And one pastor doesn't believe you can compare a church service to a grocery store. They tend to be higher risk. And so I think at this point in the game, uh, it would, there's a certain amount of wisdom to stay the course and to keep church gatherings online as opposed to opening back up. All mainstream religions preach passion for fellow humans. As a group, they're arguing that it would be against their teachings to put anyone at risk. And they are more than capable of following COVID safety guidelines. Ted Chernacki, Global News. And recent polling by ResearchCo shows B.C. is actually the least religious province in the country. Late last year, 31% of people reported never attending religious services except for weddings and funerals. And last month, there were 81% who agreed with a ban on religious services. Of that group, more than half identified themselves as being religious. Police in Metro Vancouver are investigating yet another targeted shooting in a string of recent violence. Shots rang out last night in Surrey's Fleetwood neighborhood, and Global News has obtained video from a nearby security camera. As Andrea McPherson shows us, it appears to show the hit unfolding. Just after 10 p.m. on Tuesday, two vehicles race into a residential neighborhood in Fleetwood, and surveillance video from a nearby home captures a terrifying scene about to unfold. Someone exits a vehicle at a dead-end street and appears to start firing a weapon. Police came like uh, after very quick, like within five minutes maybe, 10, 15 police came here. When I check my camera. Neighbors reported hearing 10 to 12 shots fired. There is lots of cops come out and that's filled up like a whole street with the cops. And then there was an ambulance coming and they took one person, I think, in the hospital. RCMP confirm a man was found with gunshot wounds when they arrived and he was transported to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The victim is a 21-year-old man who is known to police and does have ties to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. This incident is targeted, and the victim is not cooperating with the investigation. 
Police also say the victim does not live in and is not connected to the home he was wounded in front of. We do understand that um, members of the public in our community are concerned and angry about the level of violence that is occurring, and it's a righteous um, anger, and, and, and we share that concern. This is the second targeted shooting in the Lower Mainland since Sunday when Delta police responded to vehicles exchanging gunfire in a quiet residential neighborhood in North Delta. Police have also said they believe those individuals did not live in the area where the shooting occurred. This latest incident also took place just one day after Ottawa introduced new legislation to crack down on gun violence, giving municipalities the power to ban firearms, which is something the mayor of Surrey says he is in support of. So far, no arrests have been made, and people waking up to police tape and sirens in Fleetwood say this latest incident has certainly put them on edge. I'm living here almost like 12 years, almost 15 years, but this is the first time happening in our street. It's never happened, right? So I, I hope it's not be happen again. Andrea McPherson, Global News. Police are providing an update today on a case involving the mysterious disappearance of a Port Moody woman. Grace Key joins us live with the latest. This involves Trina Hunt. Her disappearance, of course, sparked mm-hmm. a major search, Grace. It involved police and many members of the community. What are police saying tonight? Well, it appears that homicide has been ruled out and foul play not suspected in her disappearance. So today, Port Moody Police did release a statement saying at this time, evidence indicates that this doesn't meet the integrated homicide investigation team's mandate. So IHIT does uh, investigate suspicious missing persons where foul play is suspected. 48-year-old Trina Hunt was reported missing on January 18. Her husband last saw her at their Heritage Mountain home as he was leaving for work at 6 in the morning. A large ground and air search around the area was launched. It included family and friends, Coquitlam Search and Rescue, the Vancouver Police Marine Unit, and police dogs. Investigators have also gone through a massive amount of CCTV footage, public tips, and interviews. Now, police say the investigation remains active and ongoing at this time. And again, if you have any information into her disappearance, you're asked to contact the police. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key in Port Moody for us. Repeat offenders terrorizing downtown businesses and a major investigation to bring them to justice. The astonishing number of arrests and recommended charges in a single month. Next on the News Hour. Disaster within a disaster for millions of Texas residents struggling to stay warm. Why the power grid in that state can't take the cold later. And the West Coast's famous Orca family grows by one. How the newest addition to LPOD is a real surprise. That's later. Right now, though, the Vancouver Police Service arrested 130 people during a month-long crackdown on violent shoplifting and robberies. As Aaron MacArthur reports, police launched Project Arrow after a huge increase in incidents targeting businesses and terrorizing staff in the city's downtown core. Broken bottles, hammers, baseball bats... Shoplifters in downtown Vancouver have taken to dangerous, violent robberies. Over the last year, reports of shoplifting in the city where a weapon was produced or threats made increased more than 250%. For businesses, it's more than just the loss. It's become an issue of employee safety. On top of working through the pandemic, thinking of what kind of violence they may have to confront made our management and staff extremely nervous to come to work. 
In an attempt to get a handle on the violence, the VPD launched a special task force at the beginning of the year. Project Arrow focused on violent offenders. In just one month, the project netted 130 arrests. 268 charges were recommended to Crown Council. 35 weapons seized. A bulk of the arrests, repeat offenders. In 45 incidents, our members made arrests where the individuals were either breaching their court-imposed conditions or wanted on outstanding warrants. According to statistics, crime in the city as a whole, down in 2020. The VPD was able to focus attention on this particular issue for one month, but admit limited resources make it difficult to continue the blitz. Retailers frustrated by seeing the same faces over and over again. And the police are being asked to do an awful lot in this equation. And the bottom line is we expect and we're looking for the support of the judiciary and the politicals and the social services networks. In the month-long operation, police officers returned just more than $37,000 worth of merchandise. But the total loss to retailers due to theft dwarfs what is ever recovered. Another blow to the bottom line in a sector struggling to survive the pandemic. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And police are warning people to be cautious after a frightening trespassing incident in Abbotsford. Investigators say at 4.30 this morning, a woman living in the 32,000 block of Robertson Avenue caught a stranger climbing up to her balcony using a ladder. When spotted, the suspect ran away, but police say this incident serves as a reminder to follow the 9 p.m. safety routine. The 9 p.m. routine is that every single night, if you make it a habit of making sure your garage doors are locked, your front doors are locked, taking everything out of your car that's valuable, just so that we don't give thieves the opportunity to take things that are valuable or the opportunity to break into our homes. That also applies to apartments. So making sure that you close your balconies, locking your doors, locking windows that are accessible is really important so that we don't allow thieves the opportunity to make us victims. One half of Strathcona Park has been closed off to campers in an operation that went peacefully today. Vancouver police were on hand to ensure the park board was able to enforce the 10 a.m. deadline for the few people living in tents on the west side of the park to move over to the main encampment. The cleared area is now being fenced off so crews can begin the lengthy remediation process. The province has said everything is still on track to move all of the park's 200 or so inhabitants to more permanent housing by the end of April. At that point, the whole park will be closed to allow repairs to return it to its original purpose. Up ahead, big cats stalking prey in urban communities. Cougar jumped and grabbed Lucy right in front of my husband. Terrified residents react after the Conservation Service says to keep pets and children close. And later, the newest resident at Canuck Place Children's Hospice, bringing comfort and joy to families who really need it. Traffic is busy but steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Do keep in mind that there are lane closures for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC mortgage advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Residents in a Coquitlam neighborhood are living in fear of aggressive cougars. And conservation officers confirmed today they found and killed one of the animals. But there are at least three more out there. And conservation is warning people to keep children close and their pets on a leash, even in their own backyards. John Wah reports. 
the hounds are out. And the hunt continues. BC conservation officers still on the lookout for at least one cougar. After a 14-year-old had a harrowing encounter in the Hyde Creek area of Port Coquitlam Tuesday night. He was walking home from a friend's house. He noticed that a mother cougar and a juvenile was following him. While there was no direct contact, reports of two big cats stalking a teen triggered an immediate response. Last night, I guess it was around 10.30, we heard about eight shots. We arrived on scene with our hound team and immediately discovered a juvenile cougar in the area, and that cougar was euthanized. As the search continues for its mother, cougar sightings captured on camera in front of people's homes and more frequent attacks on family pets, both growing concerns in the Tri-Cities area. My husband seen one pretty much in the broad daylight running up the street. Watch your kids and pets. I mean, we're, in, we're kind of in their territory, right? 30% of his skull was crushed. Three-year-old Lucy is lucky to be alive. The Havanese snatched from her Coquitlam front yard last week. The cougar not deterred by her owner, standing just a few feet away. It's not fair that my husband and I cannot go out in the garden without feeling absolutely terrified of being attacked by a cougar. BC Conservation says the behaviour being reported is not the norm. Especially the bold behaviour that we are seeing increase in the urban area. Searching the huge wooded areas bordering people's homes isn't going to be easy. The public is being asked to report any cougar sightings immediately and take measures so their pets don't become prey. People with dogs keep them on a leash even if it's just in the backyard for a few minutes. Lucy's owners say from what they've witnessed that won't be enough to stop these cougars on the prowl, leaving it up to BC Conservation to address this ever-increasing public concern. John Hua, Global News. If you've been hiking the trails a lot during the pandemic, apparently you are not alone. Despite the cold, wet weather, there were 1.2 million visits to Metro Vancouver Regional Parks in January. That's more than double the number of visitors from the same time last year. This follows, uh, follows from a record-breaking 2020, where there was a 38% increase in visitors to regional parks. People are encouraged to enjoy the outdoors safely, of course, by choosing a park in their area and maintaining physical distance while on the trails. Capacity management has been an ongoing challenge, and we know that COVID has, has amplified existing uh, busy parks and, and, and visitation. And we've started to implement some solutions, uh, including uh, increased social media, uh, messaging, letting people know when our parks and our parking lots fill up early in the day, uh, and also encouraging people to come earlier in the morning or later in the day. These trails have been a godsend for a lot of families, I know that for sure. Still ahead, cold weather drops on Texas like a bomb. We're just trying to get something to eat for now. How millions are coping, many without power or water. Also, the results of a record year for organ transplants in B.C. Join Global BC as we celebrate the hope your help can bring with three days of stories and interviews all leading up to this year's Variety Children's Charity Show of Hearts Telethon, Saturday, February 20th on Global BC. Counterflow is out here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is in good shape both ways. Keep in mind, though, overnight upgrades causing delays for southbound traffic on Highway 99 south of Ladner Trunk Road. Connect Hearing has strict safety protocols in place. Take your first steps towards better hearing. Book a free appointment with Canada's number one physician-referred hearing healthcare provider today. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. 
An historic blast of cold weather continues to cause havoc across the southern United States. Millions of Texans are suffering through prolonged power outages with temperatures well below freezing. The state's electricity system has buckled. And as Global's Reggie Giacchini reports, that power could be off for days to come. A disaster within a disaster is unfolding across the state of Texas. We're huddled under all the blankets that we have. Millions are freezing, powerless, and hungry. We're just trying to get something to eat for now. This is arguably the coldest Texas has ever been, and the rarity has caught the state off guard. Its electrical infrastructure is fragile. As the mercury dropped, demand rose, and plants couldn't keep up. In order for the Texas power grid not to fail, there has to be a balance between Mm -hmm. the two. The Texas power crisis is unique. It's not connected to the rest of the country's grid. Its plants rely heavily on natural gas, but supply has been cut off because pipes are frozen. That forced the state regulator to shut them down days ago. The way that ERCOT has handled this entire situation has been completely unacceptable. This isn't the first time vulnerabilities have come to light. After a 2011 blackout, a federal review claimed a majority of the electric outages and gas shortages were due to weather-related causes. Fixes were never implemented, and there are now calls for an investigation. I think it's appropriate. I mean, we are here to serve the people of Texas. Amid a blame game, the situation at home is dire. No water. Pipes are frozen, and some water treatment plants are now down. And as people try to heat their homes, carbon monoxide-related deaths are mounting. The houses aren't insulated the way they are back in Canada. Wear lots of layers to keep you warm. Canada's consul general in Dallas, originally from Saskatchewan, says this kind of cold snap can take a toll on a state where winter's wrath is often much lighter. It's really difficult for people to, um, you know, get the things they need. But, you know, Texans are tough. Until the cold subsides, lights will likely remain off, meaning for millions, the dark days of winter could be even darker. Reggie Chikini, Global News. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with more on the deep freeze and how climate change may be behind it. Christy? Mm-hmm. So the current cold snap across North America is pretty exceptional, so it really had me wondering, are these Arctic outbreaks becoming more frequent and more extreme? So I decided to turn to an expert on climate change to find the answer. Some studies show them happening a bit more frequently, but... Um one of the problems is because they only get a, you know, we only get a couple of them a year. It's really hard statistically to say with, with great certainty. They've definitely been more noticeable. I think scientists like myself are we're kind of on alert. The bigger thing that's happening is there's this greater contrast in temperature that we're seeing um, from, you know, what they experienced in Texas uh, early in February when it was much warmer than normal, um, you know, reached up to 22 degrees C there. Um, and then it dropped all the way down to, you know, 20 degrees below normal. Um, so that huge fluctuation is the more extreme thing that's happening. So it's these periods of higher highs and in some cases lower lows that are really cause for concern, especially as climatologists expect this to ramp up in the coming decades. I think that's something that, that often gets overlooked with climate change. Is it's not just that it's getting, you know, steadily warmer, but... You're, you're seeing more variability with the climate. And even as this, this very cold outbreak was happening, there are other parts of the Arctic and other parts of the northern latitudes that were much, much warmer than normal. To the Texans and Nebraskans and the people that live in Saskatchewan, it you know, felt very cold, but you know, in, in a global sense, 
still quite warm this year. Yes, yeah, so uh, 2020 was yet again one of the warmest on records, and I know that was probably hard for people to believe if you were living in Saskatchewan in the last couple of weeks. I'm sure. All right, thanks for that, Christy. All right, in health matters now, despite a global pandemic, some promising numbers regarding organ donations here in B.C. 2020 was a record-breaking year for heart and lung transplants. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, one of those recipients is opening up about his life-saving experience. If I go down, you go down too. It was 2018 when Vancouver actor Jason Gray Stanford suddenly experienced unexpected heart failure. His health quickly declined. Should have seen it coming. It's just kept getting worse and just kind of progressed, which brought me to a conversation with cardiologists that said, look, I think you really need this, this transplant now. Okay, got it. The 50-year-old was fortunate to receive a new heart last year. He's just one of many British Columbians who received a transplant in 2020, a record year for heart and lung transplants. 55 people received new lungs in 2020. 33 people received new hearts, including three children. We actually have had the highest referral rates uh, from our ICUs, and uh, the numbers of, of, uh, of donors you know, each month has been on, uh, higher than usual. Why the increase in transplants even in the middle of a pandemic? Among the reasons, critical care teams are identifying and referring more potential donors. There's increased education about organ donation and also having an impact, the opioid crisis. The recent coroner's report, as you know, showed a, um, a very startlingly high number of people who died. And, and we have seen proportional increase in uh, our donors who are uh, have died of overdoses. In addition to heart and lung transplants, 80 livers were transplanted last year, along with 280 kidneys. Still, more than 700 people remain on the transplant wait list, and British Columbians are urged to sign up at transplant.bc.ca. It, it will save lives, you know, and, and here I am. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proof of that. So, uh, you know, and I thank all the, you know, prior donors that came around before and all the future ones that will sign up because you are doing something very, very good. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Connect Place Children's Hospice is welcoming a new addition to the team. That's Gaia, a PADS-accredited facilities dog. Gaia will help provide comfort and emotional support to children with life-threatening illnesses and their families. She'll be based at Canuck Place Vancouver and Abbotsford Hospices, as well as supporting at-home patients. Gaia was selected from dozens of candidates. Her loving and gentle demeanor and training skills makes her the perfect choice to support kids who are facing unimaginable circumstances. During the day, we, we organize to see the kids that are in the house, uh, that are staying with us, and she's just been so good. Like, she is just, uh, she has such a beautiful disposition. She's very gentle, and her eyes, you just, she focuses in on somebody, and, and those eyes are just, you can't help but be happy and smile back. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Canuck Place is going to have to start making dog cookies. They're famous for their normal cookies, but maybe dog cookies mm-hmm. now, too. All right, still ahead, an out-of-work magician with quite a trick up his sleeve. I honestly hardly know what I'm doing at times. I'm just, like, trying my best and working as hard as I can. 
how he plans to turn an old deck of cards into a brand new Tesla Cybertruck. And in sports, the builder of the UBC baseball program switches teams. Why he's inspired to hit a home run in a completely different line of work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, let's talk about the weather around here. It seems spring-like around here. Mild, beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> there is a chance for some flakes falling, though, tonight. I'll let you know that. But first, I just want to show you this. It's what I call a windshield roll. We had a couple of photos of it. Uh, this from Jay Cornell in the Cobble Hill area. Literally a roll. And basically, when you get a layer of snow on a windshield or any kind of thing, you get cohesion when you increase the temperature and the moisture content. So it acts sort of like a blanket or a, uh, maybe a, a towel or something, and it rolls down the windshield. You may have seen it slide off of a roof as well. It's that same type of thing where the uh, snow crystals act cohesively in a layer. And another shot from Jeanette, uh, that timestamp is incorrect, by the way. It is from uh, Monday afternoon. All right, so thank you for all your photos. So we've got this wave that's going to move in, but we're going to drop down to about one degree. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some wet snowfall, but this is mainly going to be a rain event. The one area across the south coast that we could see some accumulations would be Port Alberni, but mainly it will be up towards Whistler and east of Hope that we'll see that snowfall, although I've kept some flakes in the icon because we could see some fall in the air. Uh, North Coast inland sections 10 to 18 centimeters there, 2 to 4 across southern regions, and Whistler will likely see a little bit more as well. And uh, you can see that here, that snowfall from Smithers right down through the central interior, southern interior regions as well. And then Friday you'll get a little bit of a break in through the interior regions, although we'll continue with showers or flurries along the coast. But yes, there's those flakes that I was telling you about. So we certainly could see some fall, uh, but we're not expecting any accumulation. And Friday, we could catch some breaks of blue sky, but definitely unsettled over the next little while. Tonight's weather window is a frozen or a couple of frozen bubbles in Cloverdale this morning when it was still cold enough this morning. Thank you to Marlene for that one. Stay in your bubble. <laughs> Good, one. Good reminder. All right. Thanks, Christy. Some good news for BC's endangered southern resident orcas. They have a new addition. The Orca Network is reporting that a killer whale known as L86 has given birth to a new calf. Now, L86 is also called Surprise because of her surprise birth in 1991. Now, this is the third calf for the 30-year-old orca and her second living calf. The sex of the brand new calf has not been determined. This video was shot in 2019 when the whale labeled L77 had a new calf, but it's the only family portrait we have. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get for uh, as a gift for a baby? It's a, it's a very <laughs> good. Giant salmon would probably be good. <laughs> All right, Squires here now. Uh, the Canucks really getting to know the Flames this season. Well, yeah, that's the thing about this season. You're going to play these teams a lot. It's kind of like we're getting a bit of a feel like old fans would have when there were only six teams in the NHL. You see the same teams over and over. We'll talk about that game tonight. Also show you how Rafael Nadal is out down under. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Squire. Also to come tonight, a new twist on the old paperclip challenge. An out-of-work magician wheeling and dealing to turn a deck of cards into a Tesla Cybertruck. That's later. Did I cause some sort of earworm ugliness with my Sesame Street yes. song about yesterday Jay. about Jay? Okay, Jay sorry. is here. Everybody, yeah. a lot of people know that song. They no, didn't think they know it. They knew it, but they know it again. <laughs> 
Uh, if you are sick of binging the Canucks Flames series, you only have one more episode to go. But they'll play each other later in the year. And that's what these NHL series are like, binge-watching. This game will be in Calgary. The Flames have won two of three so far, one in overtime. But really, the Canucks have played well enough in these three games that they could have won all three. They were unlucky in some ways. Every mistake Vancouver seems to make against Calgary is super costly. Uh, Braden Holpe will start in goal tonight for the Canucks. He is 56 right now in save percentage at 885. He faces Jacob Markstrom, who is 15th in save percentage at 924, if you're wondering. Leafs the other night blew a 5-1 lead against Ottawa. Nobody could believe that. How about Mike Riley of Ottawa? Tries to check Pierre Engvall, ends up checking the stadium instead. First goal of the game. In the second period, Justin Hall, is he going to shoot? Nope. He makes the smart move and gives it to Austin Matthews, who one-times it from in close for the 1-0 lead. But then Matthews gets beaten here to the net by Brady Kachuk, who ties at 1-1. This was not a high-scoring game, and there was no Sens comeback because the winning goal in the third by Alex Kerfoot. 2-1 the final for Toronto. Stefano Sissipas against Rafael Nadal. Quarterfinals. Aussie Open. And Nadal won the first two sets. Lost the third set 7-6. But then Sissipas began to do things that Nadal usually does. And he ended up winning this in five sets. Now we said the other day Nadal has only ever won the Australian Open once out of his 20 Grand Slam victory. So this is not one he's done well at over the years, but he is out. Not a huge surprise, a bit of a surprise, but uh, he was number five, Sissy Pass. Okay, uh, UBC Baseball is recognized around the game as a top-notch development program for players who have major league aspirations. Jeff Francis was a UBC grad, first-round draft pick for Colorado. And a lot of the credit for the success of the baseball program at UBC goes to Terry McKeg. But he's now trying to bring that kind of success to an even more important job. It's, it's a new challenge and it's a new journey and that's what's exciting me. Terry McKeg's journey is on a new team, one where the uniform of choice is business casual and office life is lived behind a laptop. McKeg is the BC Cancer Foundation's Director of Development for the Fraser Region or in his old baseball terms, the skipper of fundraising and cancer education. Well, I'm up for a challenge and what an important challenge it is. There's, there's a bigger bigger cause that's pulling me here um, and that's that's got me really motivated and, and I just want to help. That's, that's what this is all about. Well, one in two of us will face cancer in our lifetime. So this is a huge problem and also there's a lot of hope. And you know, you, you use the sports analogy and we're a team here at the BC Cancer Foundation and we're a big team of anybody who's touched by cancer, I consider as part of our team. So, so I love that analogy. So you can understand why McKeg decided to walk away from a UBC baseball program that he literally built from the ground up. If it wasn't for McKeg's vision and hustle, there wouldn't be this state-of-the-art ball facility on campus. When Terry took over the baseball program in the late 90s, UBC was practicing and playing games on community ballparks. The guy truly is the ultimate team player playing on rugby fields, playing on gymnasiums in the morning, 
no real program, no real uh, institutional setup or support. So he really, not even just humble beginnings, no beginnings, uh, started this program and initiative from scratch, got a little bit of support from the university and was able to build this international baseball brand of UBC and deliver all these great community programs. So really an amazing legacy story. A legacy story that came with a concerning plot twist, one that was created after spending a couple decades in the dugout and on the diamond, mostly in the sunshine. A form of skin cancer, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, and came out of nowhere, just a growth appeared on the side of my face and never dealt with anything like that before. And when they heard my story, they're like, Terry, like, you're the type of person that's so at risk for skin cancer, like outdoor sports your whole entire life, baseball coach. Terry is one of the lucky ones. A year later, he's cancer-free. His game plan now? Doing his best to ensure there's more cancer survivors. It's timing of everything in life, right? Like, this is the right time. I feel, truly believe that. But Terry knows, I know, we all know at the BC Cancer Foundation that we, we are a partner for people who want to do something about this disease. The Portuguese great taking on a Portuguese side. Champions League Juventus against FC Porto. First minute. What's Juventus doing? It's just a, such a give it away, give it away now. And that goal ends up being Mediteremis, and it's one nothing for FC Porto. And then at the start of the second half, another bad defensive moment for Juventus, and Musa Morega wins the game for Porto. 2-1, the final. There you be. All right, thanks, Squire. All right, here's Jay Durant now, the preview of Global News tonight at 11. Jay? Thank you, Chris. A shocking release today on racism in Vancouver. According to a report to the police board, anti-Asian hate crimes in the city were up 717% in the past year. They jumped from 12 to almost 100 in 2020, and the premier has weighed in on the matter. Plus, more than $5,000 in fines have been handed out for parties held at UBC over the weekend. Two organizers were handed tickets of $2,300 each. We'll have those stories and a lot more coming up tonight at 11. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks very much, Jay. Up next, a Saskatchewan man trying to trade up from a deck of cards to a cyber truck. And he just might pull it off. Well, if you're on the market for some collectible cards or a motorized scooter, a Saskatchewan man has a deal for you. It's all part of his quest for a futuristic truck that's reviving the story from the early days of online buy and sell ads. Global's Ryan Kessler explains. At first glance, a scooter isn't all that useful to Tyler Golding. But if he can flip it for 3000 bucks, he's that much closer to the finish line. The ultimate goal is a Tesla Cybertruck. The Elon Musk creation has a starting price of just over $50,000. So as an out-of-work magician, Golding traded away his deck of cards. Okay, and what did you get for a deck of cards? Two decks of cards. <laughs> Doubled my investment. In the span of 12 weeks, he's collected a fat bike, an iMac computer, an Xbox One, and a pair of PlayStation 5s. His latest gaming system arrived as we recorded this story. It's really important that they're getting something valuable and that I'm getting something valuable and I'm, you know, I'm transparent with the, what my goal is. 
Right now, he's also looking to move a rare Pokemon card and a gold chain. Not every deal is a winner. He's still trying to move a bag full of Beanie Babies. As a grade 6 to 12 teacher, Golding hopes there's at least value in the lesson. I'm a big believer in writing your goals down, setting up like crazy goals for yourself and working and grinding vigorously until you can get those goals and achieve those goals. If this swapping sounds familiar, you may be thinking of a story that began in 2005. A Montreal man traded a red paperclip for a pen, working his way up to a house in Kipling, Saskatchewan. The town brokered a deal in exchange for a movie role. At the time, it was just such an absolutely mind-blowing novel idea. Kipling's mayor welcomes the return of the trading phenomenon. And right now, we need all the good stories we can lay our hands on. For Golding, the attention has been nice, but he's not looking for a permanent monument. I honestly hardly know what I'm doing at times. I'm just like trying my best and working as hard as I can. And we'll see where this takes me. Ryan Kessler, Global News. We don't know what we're doing either. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fun for him when he's driving a Tesla truck, cyber truck, instead of that little scooter. Uh, Last word before we go, maybe uh, Christy on the weather. Sure. So we are expecting uh, some rainfall through the morning hours tomorrow. The more consistent rain will be in the afternoon hours. But because we're dropping down to one degree, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some wet snow here and there. Certainly the higher elevation regions, Westwood Plateau, uh, SFU, Vancouver Island near uh, Port Alberni. Uh, But for the most part, it's a rain event with the heavier, more consistent rain in the afternoon as we warm up to about three degrees. Very (laughs) spring-like. The gumboots ready. That's right. Right. That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us tonight. You want me to sing another Sesame Street song? Yes. <sighs> really? Go for it. I don't think the people really want me to. <laughs> one, two, three, four, I get that five, sense. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's a good one. <laughs> I only know those words. See you tomorrow, everybody. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs>